0: All right, let us pray for our catechumens. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. Almighty and everlasting God, who dost continually enrich thy church with a new offspring, increase the faith and understanding of our catechumens, that they, being born again in the water of baptism, may be numbered among the sons of thine adoption, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so this week we're going to watch b the b number 82, Does the Liturgy Need You?
1: Hey everybody, this is Steve, and sometimes church can feel a bit like... a show. With all the sights and sounds and movement that goes on during Liturgy, and all the effort that goes into creating beauty all around us, it's easy to feel like we're spectators in a spectacular theatrical performance. Especially if we're not the ones serving in the altar, or chanting in the choir, it can be really easy to feel like we're watching. From the outside that the bishops and presbyters and deacons and chanters are really the ones doing liturgy while we're simply there watching liturgy and if liturgy is just another show just another form of entertainment like a movie or a play then it's no wonder that so many people feel checked out i mean can't the show just go on without us well let's take a closer look at what liturgy is liturgy or liturgia in greek comes from two root words litos, which means public, and ergos, which means work. So liturgy is literally a public work, a community effort, the work of the people, which means that what goes on in church is much more than some passive entertainment. Work implies effort, that our minds and our bodies are active and engaged. It requires our attention and focus. Work also implies a struggle, toil, labor, and exertion. Liturgy isn't an easy job. It can be really hard to keep our minds from wandering, to keep our focus on Christ. And it's not always easy to remember that we, the people in the pews, are needed for the liturgy to be offered. We may not realize it, but this important fact about our life as the church is expressed so beautifully in one short, yet powerful word, When we say all the time without really thinking about too much. Amen. Did you know that the word Amen is Hebrew, for let it be so? The amen of the people completes the prayers of the bishops, and the presbyters, and the deacons. It's our way of saying, yes, we agree, and we too have come to worship God. Father Tom Honko puts it this way. So in other words, if there's nobody there to say amen to the bishops or priests' prayer, or they refuse to say amen, then the liturgy stops. It's over. You can't go on. It has to be the amen of all the gathering people who are faithful. The Eucharist just can't be celebrated if we, the people, are not actively participating in the labor, the work, of prayer, and worship. Which is why it's a good thing there are so many ways for us to be engaged and actively involved in the liturgy. We stand at attention to remind ourselves that we are in the presence of God. We focus our eyes on the icons to calm and still our inner turmoil. We open our ears to the melodious chanting that praises God with the words of the angels and teaches us to live like the saints have lived. We may even sing along. We smell the sweet smell of incense, which draws our thoughts to the sweetness of God's mercy. We make the sign of the cross to show that we willingly unite ourselves to the cross of Christ. We bow or kneel before the Almighty God. Who sends His Spirit upon us. We recite the Creed and Lord's Prayer together to confess the faith that we share. We lift up within our hearts prayers for our loved ones, those who are suffering, those who have died. And most of all, we offer our Amen, our affirmation that God is our God and we worship no other. And this is the work that we are called to do, the sometimes difficult work of preparing ourselves to be transformed by God's love. Just as the bread and the wine on the altar are transformed into Christ's body and blood, so are we, in the liturgy, transformed into Christ's very body. It's a work we as Christians can't avoid, nor should we, because worship isn't passive. We can't simply sit back and let it happen all around us. If we want to truly live orthodoxy, we have to strive to unite ourselves to Christ. To offer thanksgiving for all the blessings that God has granted us. To not simply say, but to live. That little word, amen. We have to actively seek the kingdom of God. So let's be the bee and offer ourselves to God in the liturgy. Be the bee and live orthodoxy. Remember to like and subscribe and share. I'll see you all next week.
0: Okay, so now when we say liturgy, liturgy can mean one of two things. It can be a general term or a specific term. It can be the general term for all the services we do in the church. So, for example, you know, Friday nights we do Stations of the Cross. Uh, Wednesdays, and you know, and we also do Vespers, and we do Vespers on Wednesdays, um, and Saturdays. Um, all of those are liturgy. They are all public work, right? But in the specific sense, when we say the liturgy, um, we're talking about what? The Eucharist. The Eucharist. Mm-hmm. So, what are some names that we use? We use, you know, in the East, you'll hear the Divine Liturgy, right? And then here, you'll, you know, we'll talk about Holy Eucharist. What does Eucharist mean? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Um, in Greek, if you want to say thank you, you say, Epharisto. It's the same word. It's you, thank you. It's the holy thanksgiving. Okay? And then we'll also talk about Holy Communion. Okay? All of those refer to the same thing. So. In the, in the video, obviously, um, the things that Steve was showing were from the Eastern liturgy, right? Um, so there's obviously multiple forms of the liturgy, depending on who you're with and, and what, what church it is and things of that nature. okay? So uh, for example, um, like and, and that liturgy can change throughout the year. So for in the Coptic Church, for example, the, the canon of the mass where the, the you know after we say that, you know lift up our lift up your hearts we lift them up and you know that part all of that after that um, we use the same thing all year round um, in the Coptic Church there's 14 different versions of what they use depending on what season of it is what feast day it is etc 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 so there's there is a, a variety of form for the liturgy um, <clears throat> In our archdiocese, there are four liturgies in use that we use. In the Eastern Rite, which is 90% of our archdiocese, 90% of the parishes in our archdiocese are Eastern Rite, um, 100% of the Greek uh, archdiocese, 100% of the OCA, and I don't know what percent, but most of Rokor, um, they all do the Eastern Rite. And they do two different liturgies. Uh, The normal liturgy they do is the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. Um, that's, that's what they do year-round, except for Lent. In Lent, they do the Liturgy of St. Basil. Okay? Now, it's convenient because the Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom is basically a shortened version of the Liturgy of St. Basil. So much of the liturgy is in common. There's only a few things that change, like the prayer after the Circe of Corda, you know, and, and the canon of what we would call in the West the canon of the Mass. In the East, it's referred to as the Anaphora, okay, the actual prayer over the bread and wine during which it becomes the body and blood, all right? So, um, in our Western Rite, which is about 10% of our archdiocese, um, and some Rokor parishes, our Western Rite, um, in our archdiocese we use the liturgies of St. Ticon and St. Gregory, okay? Um, And that depends on, each one is used by a parish, um, all year round. So we have some parishes, like ours, where we use the Liturgy of St. Tecon. Other parishes use the Liturgy of St. Gregory. Okay, We don't mix the two. As I mentioned, there used to be a diversity of liturgies, even in the Orthodox Church. It wasn't just the, the, the two in the East and the two in the West. We had a multitude of liturgies, especially in the East. Um, one is, for example, the Liturgy of St. James which is still celebrated in some places on the Feast of St. James. We actually did it at the seminary once. Um, there is a, a hymn in our hymnal that is a lot of people's favorites that is actually from the Liturgy of St. James. Okay. Um, if you're familiar with the Eastern Liturgy, there's a, a part where it's called the Cherubic Hymn. And the priest says, we who mystically represent the cherubim. Right. Well, that's the Cherubic Hymn for the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom and the liturgy of St. Basil. There's a hymn in our hymnal, which is the cherubic hymn for the liturgy of St. James. Does anybody know which one it is? Holy
1: God?
0: Mm-mm. No. Now see, that would be like the Trisagion, which is a different prayer. It, the, the hymn, y'all know the hymn, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence? Holy oh, yes. Yeah. That's, teru- that's an English translation of the cherubic hymn from the Liturgy of Saint James, let all mortal flesh and if you if you compare the two, if you have the text side by side. You see, they're talking about the same thing. Let all mortal flesh keep silence and with fear and trembling stand. Right. That's from the Liturgy of Saint James. But what happened in in the Orthodox Church? Um, anybody want to take a guess as to why now there's only two liturgies in use in the Orthodox Church? What would have crushed the diversity of liturgy? The Muslims, okay. The Muslims came and swept through all the Orthodox lands, except for Russia, right? But um, they were already using. Uh, but what happened was then all of the lands, the 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 Patriarch of Antioch, Patriarch of Jerusalem, Patriarch of Alexandria, you know, they were all been placed under what was called the Millet. So when the Ottomans swept in and took Constantinople, um, uh, everything became Constantinopolitan practice. Now, some of this had already been occurring naturally as as missionaries and, and communication through the different churches. It was a natural process, but it was really the Millet that really stamped it out and said, everything now is going to be according to the practice of Constantinople. Why? Because... Under Ottoman rule, all Christians were the responsibility of the Patriarchate of Constantinople, okay? So if some Christians up, rose up or whatever, they'd go and they'd grab the Patriarch of Constantinople, hang him as an example to all the Christians, and then, you know, go on their way.
1: So they did allow them to stay Christian, the yeah. Ottomans?
0: Yeah, as, as long as you paid a tax. There were two kinds of taxes. Obviously, you paid a monetary tax and then you paid a human tax where they would take your sons convert them to islam and na- and make them janissaries if you've ever heard the term janissary the the janissaries were elite soldiers in the ottoman empire and what they were were they were all stolen from christian fam- they were sons stolen from christian that's families forcibly converted to islam and raised as elite soldiers
1: pretty high, harsh tax I mean, it, well, well, it was and and that,
0: that's how they referred to it though as, as a human tax you will not only give up your gold, you'll give up your, your children. You know, and, and to some extent, keep in mind, we, kinda, we didn't have the exact same thing in the West, but you know, except, especially in noble families. What was, remember Henry VIII? He was never supposed to be king. Why? Because he wasn't the oldest son. What was he supposed to do? He was supposed to go in the church. So the oldest son would take over the house because of primogeniture, right? Then you'd send one son to the church and one son to the military. Right? Because otherwise they wouldn't have a way to make a living since the oldest son inherited everything. So this idea of of you know, kind of your life is predestined for you, that was common. Yeah. But the actual stealing of children forcing them in, into Islam and making them soldiers, that yeah, that was a bit harsh. So but that's where the term Janissary comes from.
1: They could have just made them soldiers and not made converted to Islam. Well then why would they fight? Yeah, would yeah. they because uh, we'll kill you if you don't. I mean, I
0: guess well, that's not a good anyway. soldier. Well, so what they did was they recruited him at a young age,
1: yeah.
0: okay. and you know that's all they knew. Hmm. So, um, so when the Western Rite came back to um, you know, kind of the the Western Rite in the Orthodox Church basically died around ten ninety eight when the last um, parishes in Sicily were forced to um, adopt the filioque which we've talked about that. <clears throat> it came back in the late, in late 1860s, 1870. And what happened was there was a former Roman Catholic priest um, who had converted and married and converted to Lutheranism. Um, his name was J.J. Overbeck. And he was uh, <coughs> a German, but he emigrated to England, and he became interested in the Orthodox Church. And so he wondered what it would take... He wanted to start a Western Orthodox church, um, both in reaction to uh, Anglicanism and with what was going on in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, A lot of people remember the divisiveness that occurred in the Roman Catholic Church in the late '60s because of Vatican II, and it's still going on today. Some of that, you know. Um, But what a lot of people don't remember (coughs) was the divisiveness that occurred in the late 1800s in the Roman Catholic Church because of Vatican I. And Vatican I was far more destructive, I think, to the the Roman Catholic Church. That's where they adopted, for example, the doctrine of papal infallibility, okay? And so you actually had a major split from the Roman Catholic Church, if you've ever heard of the old Catholic churches. That was when they came about was <clears throat> when, um, after Vatican I, they said, we're not doing that. So, but in that time period, um, Overbeck then submitted what, he, he basically took the Latin Mass, made some changes and submitted it to the Holy Synod of Moscow. And said, <clears throat> what would be, you know, the, what would it take for this liturgy to be Orthodox. And the main changes that were made were um, the removal of the filioque, right? We don't say "and of the son" in the creed, and then also an explicit—this is this is an interesting term—an explicit epiclesis. What's an epiclesis? Anybody know that term? It is the calling down of the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, in the Roman Mass, there is a lifting up of the gifts, but there's not an explicit calling down of the Holy Spirit that these thy gifts and creatures may be changed. Right. Yes, exactly. Right. Where there is in the Eastern liturgy. Yeah. Okay. So that was added. So when you hear Father say, you know, and, and, and we beseech, you know, that these gifts and creatures may be changed into the body and blood, that's the explicit epiclesis that was added in response to the criticisms of the, the Holy Synod of Moscow. And they actually then looked at this liturgy and said, yes, this is an orthodox liturgy. It can be used. And he attempted in England to start a Western Orthodox church. He didn't have much success. Um, but uh, but his influence did last. And and obviously because we're here today. Um we're here today based on his work, that it took maybe another 50-60 years to come to fruition, but it finally did. Um, the same thing kind of happened in about 1904. Um, Saint Tikhon, who was the bishop over all the Orthodox in the United States, keep in mind that all the Orthodox in the United States at one time were under Moscow. Okay, um, They had come in from Alaska, and, and uh, evangelized, um, gone down even into Northern California. Uh, there's still a, a, a state park uh, called Fort Ross, it was Ross being Rus, it's the Russian fort, right? And every year, uh, one day a year, they have divine liturgy at at the fort in California um, to remember the, the Russians coming down from Alaska. Um, St. Peter the Aleut, if you've ever heard of him, he was killed by the Franciscans in California because they said, you need to be Christian. He's like, I already am Christian. Um, and they didn't accept that, so they cut off his hands, and he bled to death. So, it's um, great. gotta love the Franciscans. To, yeah. What's interesting is that, that normally he would not have the name St. Peter. Um, how do we get new saints' names? Anybody know?
1: Nimble martyrs
0: new martyr. So normally his name that he would have been Saint whatever his actual baptismal name would have been and that's how we get new saints names. Right? But nobody could remember it. He'd just gone by Peter for so long, you know, as a Christian that they, so he's Saint Peter the Aleut because nobody remembers his original name. When did last names come in? Last names came in? They're fairly recent phenomena. I mean you always, like the nobility, they were, they were, you know, St. John of Gaunt or whatever. And then they would just be referred to then as John Gaunt or, or whatever. Um, last names really came in, I guess, when you started having commerce between villages and you had to start differentiating between people. But, you know, there's that great line in Henry V. um, you know, how many did we lose? Well, we lost, you know, York, we lost so-and-so, none other of name. It was a privilege to have a name. Everybody had a baptismal name, but you know, um, but then family names um, didn't really occur kind of until family recently. Forced
1: on us. Well,
0: because yeah. I, mean, I mean, I understand why yeah, they did it because you know, everybody was named James. Yeah, go see yeah. James Which James. Which one? <laughs> Which James? Yeah.
1: yeah. They, they gave us names and people got rid of them again and then they came back. Yeah. It was, it was so. Or a lot of them were like. Peter's son of John. Well, that's how
0: you have the names Peterson, Johnson. Yeah, you know.
1: exactly. When they like started people? migration.
0: Yeah. was, you know, um, in in Russia, usually your name is your first name, and then your middle name is your father's name, Ovitch, you know, son of so-and-so, and then the last
1: name. Ireland, it's Fitz.
0: Yeah, Fitz. Yeah. Okay. Or Mick, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Is that, was that like a also. Mary of Magdalene? Yeah, or, or
0: that area. Or, or Mag- well, Magdalene I mean. is an adjective, and I don't know what it means. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because you had Mary of, you know, Mary Cleopas, but those weren't last names like we know yeah. last names. They weren't family names. Yeah, they yeah. were, you know, patronymics as and they were. Place
1: names like Whiteside yeah. is from an area. Of, an area, yeah. You know, and Scott, yeah. like, like, yeah. like Mary of yeah. So you could buy your last name, and then the yeah. you didn't one. Or, 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 you know,
0: obviously a lot of them are your profession. Yeah. You know, yeah. like Miller. Cooper. Miller. Miller, Cooper. Um, you know, Smith. Yeah. Lots of Smiths. Yeah. Hey, what's a Every village had a... Cooper is a barrel maker. I did you know that? Yeah. Is a barrel maker. Mm-hmm. Bruce. Fletcher is a person who makes arrows. Puts the, you know, feathers on arrows. You know, so yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting history there. So, anyway, uh, so in 1904, St. Tikhon, he had all these Episcopalians approaching him, saying, oh, well, you know, because they, they were trying to claim that they were the Orthodox Church in America, right? They're like, no, look, we're separated from Rome, just like you are. We're, we're, we're Orthodox. Well, and this puzzled him. He didn't know what they were. So he took a lot of their prayers and submitted them to, to Moscow and said, what makes the, you know, What would make these orthodox? And again, the answer came back, remove the filioque, explicit epiclesis, and then the addition for Anglicans was um, explicit prayers for the dead, because they weren't explicit praying for the dead in in the Book of Common Prayer. So, um, fast forward, there were attempts, there was the church in France, there were some churches here uh, with the Russians, the, the Basilian Fathers, Finally in 1961 is when our vicariate started with three parishes. There were Basilian parishes that were left over. And then we've grown, we have about 20-something parishes now. Um, It ebbs and flows because parishes are hard to start and they're hard to keep. One problem we've had in the Western Rite um, is, you know, a pastor will bring in a parish and then he either goes away or something else and it dies. Right. It's hard to sustain that. Totally. We are very fortunate here. They're,
1: they're not being produced in seminaries, though, either. Well, because
0: the seminary, you know, our Orthodox seminaries weren't interested in producing Western Rite priests.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, you know, we had to import all our clergy. We were very fortunate here. When Father Patrick passed, Father Anthony took over. And when Father Anthony passed, we got Father Mark.
1: So, I mean, how do you sustain that? I mean, well, that's that's why, that's all why like now,
0: practice. all of a sudden, the, the Archdiocese is training Western Rite priests at seminary. Okay. Yes, there is, there is an explicit uh, Western Rite training program that goes along with uh, going to seminary. When did that start? I think that's uh, a few years ago, four Wait, or five years ago.
1: St. George in Houston. did mm-hmm. that start out at Eastern Rite? Yes. yes, yes. I thought it. it did.
0: They all started, yeah, like, yeah.
1: So yeah see, that's where you? I was baptized.
0: Okay, yeah, that's Eastern Rite. Yes. Do
1: they all have to take that Western Rite?
0: Did no, 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 only the Western Rite was too. Or those that just... It's those who come from Western Rite Parishes. Or those that would like to?
1: Would they let anybody... I don't know. That didn't come from Western Rite I don't rite?
0: know. Father Ed does it. And yeah. what they do is they have separate classes at the House of Studies. Mm-hmm. And then during... You know, because it used to be, like when I went to seminary in Ma- Massachusetts, <clears throat> we didn't have any Western Rite Parishes right. in Massachusetts. So where was I... You know, where the only place I could go was with Father Ed. And we would talk about it during the week. But when we served liturgy on Sunday... It was Eastern Rite because his parish is Eastern Rite. So now we do have a couple of Western Rite parishes in Massachusetts, and we can send our Western Rite students to those parishes on Sundays to practice. So, yeah, I received no Western Rite training, except from Father Ed on the side. All my my seminary training was Eastern Rite. Like you said, up until five years ago, And up until five years ago, nobody did. Unless, you know, unless again they came in from the Episcopal Church or the Roman Catholic Church. Um, so...
1: There's a really interesting article on Western Orthodox.
0: Yeah.
1: I'll have to look. Anyway, he talks about the history of the, the, the Western Rite and how he... Whoever, I don't remember the yeah. name but. How, it be, how yeah. he began Eastern, and at first he thought it was so weird, but now he's Western, and just kind of talked about the the, the good things that, you know, because it's, it's for those it's hard who, to find the, positives about it. For
0: those others. who didn't, yeah, I mean, there have been some severe criticisms of the Western Rite by Orthodox. Um, the late Metropolitan Jacobus of San Francisco, of the Greek Archdiocese, would not allow any of his clergy to serve um, with any Western Rite. I mean, he just flat out denied it, and so that has gone away to some extent because our archdiocese has been very good about um, supporting it, including Metropolitan Joseph, Um, and you might think he would be the worst about it, but no, he has embraced it, and uh, to his credit, Um, because I think what happened was when he was um, bishop in Los Angeles, um, he saw the faithfulness of parishes like St. Michael's Whittier. Um, I got to attend that parish once, and it's. A, uh, but when he saw that they are Orthodox, I mean we are Orthodox, you know. So Bishop John one, uh, asked me last time he was here, he's like, which one do you, which one do you prefer? And I told him, I said, I'll tell you this, what I tell everybody, when I'm in the Western Rite, I miss the Eastern Rite, when I'm in the Eastern Rite, I miss the Western Rite. Because all of them both. They both have, they both have a beauty to them. One of the things that I've noticed is,
1: um,
0: and especially in the architecture, like in Western churches, what's what's kind of the high point of Western church architecture? The altar. Well, no, no, no. Like like the period, or what kind of when you think of a Western, like a Roman Catholic cathedral or whatever, what what do you think?
1: The spires.
0: The spires, the Gothic, right? Um extending into the vertical right you know notre dame and and you know it comes comes up and and it's very high and right and, and so you have and it like the gothic arch right okay when you think of <coughs> an eastern cathedral what's the one example bar none the Sophia, the dome right and so it's kind of a lower dome and it's it's lower to the ground and, and something like that, okay? Here's, here's why I love both of these. This one tends to emphasize the eminence of God. Okay? God. You have to look up at the spires and the stained glass windows, and you're looking at God, right? This one tends to emphasize the eminence of God. What does that mean? What's the name Emmanuel mean? God God is with us. God is all around us. And so in this type of church, you're not looking up at the stained glass windows, you're looking at the icons all around you. And everywhere you look, there's icons. God is with us all around us. So the Western focus is kind of on the, in terms of architecture is on the eminence of God whereas the eastern is on the imminence of God right they're both right they're both beautiful they're both things to be loved and celebrated. so I can't imagine one without the other right so
1: the National Cathedral, Orthodox Cathedral in Washington D.C. Have you been to it? The Russian one? I don't know if it's Russian or not, but there's lot of space inside. Now the National
0: Cathedral in Washington, D.C. is an Episcopal church. And it is the most most spiritually sterile place I've ever been in. When I walked in there, it gave me the heebie-jeebies. It really did. And I wasn't even Orthodox at the time. I was an Episcopalian. And that place, I just, I did not, it was scary.
1: Well, I don't know where it is anymore than if it's not in Washington, D.C. Well, no, the National... It's
0: Orthodox. Oh, no, well, no, there's a cathedral in, or there's, there, the OCA has a cathedral there, and it's beautiful. Now, the Russians kind of, if you'll notice, the Russians kind of have a style halfway between, because they'll build these high churches, and there'll be iconography up all on the walls and everything, and, and like, there was an exhibit of, of uh, stuff from Catherine the Great in Dallas. And they had a picture of this this Russian chapel in one of the palaces. The iconostasis was four stories high. Yeah. It had four different layers to it. So the Russians, and, and you'll notice, like, Russian music, too. It's halfway between Western and Eastern. Because they are at the junction of the two. So... Um, I, you know, I, you know, let's take the Russians right in here because they, they do both. Um, so, one of the, the, what I want to finish up with today is how do we, how do we, refer, I was going to go through like the whole structure of liturgy. I don't think we have time actually. So, <clears throat> we may do that next time. But, um, I do want to talk about a few things. Um, terms that you may, you'll, you'll hear. And you know, Father, talk about, or, or you'll see them listed in the in the bulletin. How do we name things in the liturgy? How do we name the different prayers? When if I say introit,
1: when it takes place in the no, no, no. I'm time? just
0: saying like the words that we use, like introit. Latin. Period. Okay, yes. so yeah, they, a lot of them come, they're either Latin. There's one that's from the Greek, but most of them are Latin. or Okay, and it usually has to do with the first word of the prayer in Latin. So, for example, Introit. Father pronounces this strangely. I don't know why. It's introit. What's he say? He in- in- introit.
1: Introit. Uh, right. it's
0: but it comes from when you and you'll hear us say it at the at the foot of the altar. Of course, in English, it comes from Introibo ad. Altare dei. Is that
1: Greek? No, it's no, Latin. It's
0: not. Okay, and it comes from the, the prayers that we're saying at the foot of the altar. And, it means, and in English, you'll hear us say, I will go into the altar of God. Mm-hmm. Or, and, or actually, I will enter into the altar of God. <clears throat> so this is the entrance hymn. So the introit is the entrance. It comes from Introibo ad altare Dei. Okay, when we say the Kyrie, that's from the Greek. But why do we call it the Kyrie?
1: It's Lord. Lord.
0: Well, but what what are the words to the the, so, the hymn? Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, right? Okay. Um, we'll we'll talk about um, the Sorsum Corda. That's a good one. anybody know what this one is?
1: Lift up our hearts.
0: Lift up our hearts. So that's like at the beginning of the canon. Right Well, let's lift up our hearts. We the source and corda, and that's actually what it is in Latin. So it's you know you'll hear these, these terms. They're not real complicated. It's just whatever the first word is in, in um, Latin usually. Sometimes Greek, usually Latin. Another word you'll hear that we can talk about is um, propers.
1: What are propers? Prayers. They're
0: prayers. Prefaces? Preface is one of them, yes.
1: Normally, Psalms? Oh, they're prayers that can be inserted at different seasons.
0: Well, yeah, every Sunday actually. Every Sunday has a set of propers.
1: For a saint or
0: for a Well, it's for, there's, now there are, like, there's there's also propers for the feast of a saint, the feast of a martyr, the feast of an apostle, etc., etc. There's all kinds of different propers. But when we're talking about the propers, we're talking about usually the introit, the um, collects, okay, I'm gonna put a parenthesis there, Um, the, like, the offertory, the thing you don't hear the choir sing, oh, even before that, even before the offertory, Um, gradual, tract, or hallelujah, <clears throat> and then sequence sometimes, okay, um, then the Offertory, and then communion. These are antiphons or hymns that are specific to a day. So, for example, I go up in the choir loft, I reach in, and there's a, a box called Sunday Propers, and somebody's already arranged them, and I reach in, and today said, Third Sunday in Lent, and it had all these things for us to sing, all right, and it's just like one sentence, or it's a verse, okay. Um, there's not always a sequence hymn. Sequence hymns are for specific occasions, or specific feasts, or um, what's perhaps... We had to sing one for Sammy. There was a sequence hymn. Anybody know pretty much what one of the most famous sequence hymns is? D.S.C. Ray. The D.S.C.
1: Mm-hmm. Ray. Mm-hmm. Meaning? Something with the dead.
0: Day of Wrath. Okay. Day of Wrath of Day of Mourning. See, fulfilled the prophet's warning, heaven and earth. And that music, you'll hear all through even popular culture. All right? Anytime somebody wants to signify death, da, 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 right? So but every Sunday we get a list of all these and we sing them during liturgy, and that those are proper for that that Sunday. Okay. So if you ever hear us talk about the propers, now the prefaces are all usually for a season, like the preface of Lent or the Preface of the Trinity is what we use by default. (laughs) Now one thing you may not realize, and I'll finish with this, and I won't go through, we'll we'll do the rest of this next week, because I do want to get through it, but one of the things you'll notice about the Eastern Liturgy and the Western Liturgy, liturgies, because there are multiple ones, okay, they're built on the same framework. They follow the same structure. Okay. It's just how we flesh them out is different. And it may seem very, very different to you the first time you go to an Eastern liturgy. And it seems very, very different the first time somebody from an Eastern church comes to a Western liturgy and they're like, right. But when you look at them, they're built on the same structure. They're built and it's just the way we flesh them out. So, for example, we'll say a collect. What's a collect? It's a collective prayer that the priest says on our behalf. The very first one we say during every liturgy is the collect for purity. And that's kind of like the beginning of our liturgy. Um, So, where am I? So he'll say. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name through Christ our Lord. That's known as the collect for purity. That is a, a prayer, he says, on our behalf. But we're all, and then we say, Amen, just like he says in the video. Because we're all agreeing, yes, please, purify our hearts. Okay? Um... So, where in the West we'll say a collect, what will they do in the East? The choir sings. Again and again, in peace, let us pray to the Lord. They'll do an actenia or a litany. In the West, we would call it a litany. They do actenias all the time, again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Let us pray to the Lord, right? So, one secret: if you haven't been to an Eastern liturgy, and he and the deacon says, "Let us complete." our... I, especially vespers. Vespers is the worst part. Vespers. If he says, "Let us complete our evening prayer unto the Lord," and you think you're about done, uh, that's the halfway point.
1: Hey, that type a question yes. that my five-year-old asked last night. Okay. She said, Why does Father Mark say the mass is ended? And it's not over yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to torment small children. That <laughs> yes. is so horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's never over. But wait, there's more.
0: Actually, that's one of the things we're going to cover, and we will cover that next week. Okay. We'll cover that next week because that is a specific phrase that I do want to cover, okay. uh, and when we do the dismissal. Um, but uh, that is a good question. So hold it till next week. Okay. But um, now you can't skip. Now you can't skip. Now you can't <laughs> <laughs> skip. You can't I skip. I so, but. Um, but yeah, so it is... I, how many of you here have been to an Eastern liturgy? Everybody except our catechumen. You have. Well, good. I
1: wasted my hand. Oh. I yeah. just put it down.
0: Yeah. I didn't leave it up. So, <laughs> so, But you know what I'm talking about. Instead of the colics at the beginning, what, is, what happens at the, in the Eastern liturgy? The deacon comes out and does the great Actenia, right? At the beginning of the liturgy. In peace, let us pray to the Lord for the peace from above The salvation of our souls. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. And we go on and on, you know, through about fifteen petitions. Right? And then as soon as he's done, the priest says a prayer, and then we do a small actinia. And then we do another small actinia. Right? So it's it can be confusing the first time you go to an Eastern liturgy. But hang in there but and look for the similarities in the structure of what we're doing. Because um, they really are. They're based on, you know, St. Justin Martyr outlined the basic liturgy um, in first or second century of the church. And all liturgies are based on that framework of St. Justin Martyr. But, they, you know, how they're fleshed out, um, I will tell you this, don't go to a Coptic church for your first uh, Eastern liturgy, because three hours later, <laughs> your feet will be tired, and you'll be barefoot, so, you know. Um, but yeah, so now that Jesse's here, any questions?
1: <laughs> Actually, we were just about to finish up. So. Oh, we just
0: finished early. Up, I'm hmm? We just finished early. I Okay, yeah. <clears throat> what time are we supposed to finish? 12.15, I thought. Really? We usually don't get out of here until
1: 12.30. We're, we're supposed to finish. <laughs> Is <it 90> minutes? <laughs> well, I've been
0: talking now for 42 minutes.
1: Well, normally by the time we're done, everybody else is gone. And so clearing started. Started. Exactly. So
0: we about 11:30? Yeah. yeah, we started. We actually got started early today because nobody was here. Yeah. So, but yeah. So next time we'll go through, and maybe we won't have. I, I had to look to find a Steve video for today. So I think next time we'll just skip the Steve video because I don't think there is one. I'll try to find another video about because I do want to walk through the structure of the liturgy and what you know. Because if we are be involved. Like Steve says, you know, this is our work. This is, you know, um, he talks about it means public work. I've heard it translated as work of the people. You know, Laos is people. And so um, if it is to be all our work, we should understand what we're doing and why we're doing it and not just, oh, God, you know, we're in Matins. How many of you, I mean, I have to serve at the altar. I have to. Because otherwise, I cannot stand sitting there going through all those psalms at matins. Good God, are we done yet? I swear, those fifteen pages of psalms we're doing right. I have to. I mean, that's. And I have to. Otherwise, you know, me sitting in the back is just. You know, because a lot of time you know, because I'm so used to now serving that if I'm not. I just We're don't know what to do. To I do, I do, but you know, it's just yeah. I now that now that I know how to sing along, but I mean, as a kid, especially, uh, you know, it's like the worst was All Souls Day. Do we have to read all those names? Can we just? Yeah, we do, because I mean something to somebody. Yeah, okay. you,
1: you have to sit there and count them and figure out which family you're sitting on each list.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, whose list is this? Whose list is it? Okay, no. Nah. Oh, there's two other terms I want to refer to real quick. Um, last week we talked about, um, Steve talked about, how we used to do all the sacraments in the liturgy. There's two terms I want to, uh, that there's two special types of masses that I want to make sure everybody understands what they are. There's a nuptial mass and the requiem mass. Everybody know what these two are? Yes. Okay. Nuptial mass is for a, marriage. a wedding. Yeah, marriage. Okay. The requiem mass is usually for a funeral, but not necessarily. We do requiem masses during the year.
1: All Souls. All Souls, all souls
0: is a requiem mass. Okay. In, uh, during we... Lent
1: and on the Easter night, there are four times during Lent they have a prayer for the
0: dead. Well, they have a prayer for the dead, but it's not a requiem mass.
1: Oh, that's true. It isn't.
0: Yeah, it's not a mass. They do holy saturday. I mean, they'll do um, Saturdays for the dead, um, which they do. It's a special prayer service to remember the dead. But it's not a requiem mass. It's not a liturgy. So, but a requiem doesn't have to be for a funeral. It can be. You can have a requiem mass to remember someone who passed away. You know, like if it's the anniversary of their death or something like that. So, um, yeah, if you ever see these two, just know what they are. So, any other questions today? I think, yeah, next week we'll continue with Structure the Mass. We'll walk through the whole thing. And I'm glad because I was worried about having to rush it, so next week we won't have to rush it. Cool. All right, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.